Let's turn our Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and you'll read the first seven verses. James chapter 2 and I commence reading. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judge and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have disowned the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Let's once again seek light from above and let's pray together. Our Father, we approach you this afternoon on the merits of Christ our God. We are conscious of our own weaknesses, conscious of our own frailties, conscious of the happenings around us. But we come also conscious of the fact that you are with us and you are in our midst. And so we come asking that as we have sung, and now we sit to hear you speak to us. May you be in our midst. As our elder did pray, we are also conscious of the weather. And we do ask that you grant us self-control to be able to sit in and listen and not be distracted. Our dear God, we plead that as your word is being opened up, may it be preached authoritatively and in the manner that will be instructing by the aid of God the Holy Spirit for your glory and for the extension of the kingdom of your, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask, O oh God, just as you are with us as we sang, be with us as we open the pages of your word. And may you sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue looking at uh, the letter of James. And we've been slowly making our way through this book. And as our aim is to see or at least as we are making our way through the book of James, 
to reach the conclusion that James reaches that true Christianity or true faith shows itself in practical godly living. Uh, true faith is not just something that is not just theoretical. James seeks to show that it is practical. And as he's been showing uh, through the, the, the verses we've dealt with, we've been able to see that how one responds to trials, how one responds to temptation, shows whether they have true faith or not. And in this chapter that we began two weeks ago, we see how James begins to deal with the issue of partiality. And we saw in the first four verses that true faith does not show partiality. And now he opens up from verse 5 through to verse 7 to show us that partiality among God's people demonstrates this inconsistency in their conduct. Because if God's people are showing favoritism or if God's people are showing partiality amongst themselves, it goes against the very nature and character of the God whom they claim to be serving. And so in verse 5 through to verse 11, James advances two arguments against the practice of partiality. And these two arguments, the first one is a social argument. That's from verse 5 through to verse 7, and that's the one we'll be dealing with. And then from verse 8 through to verse 11, he brings out a moral argument. So he deals with the social argument and then ends with a moral argument. And so this afternoon we'll be looking with the, more, the social argument that James brings to show that the practice of partiality among God's people is something that demonstrates inconsistency in their conduct because that's not who God is. So that's not the, the character of God. And James is concerned about this because this issue of partiality can be something that's very subtle. And he wants the church of Jesus Christ to be alive to this sin and to watch out for this sin and to put it to death amongst themselves. And so we want to see what he says in verse 5 through to verse 7. And the first thing he shows us is that partiality is inconsistent with God's choice of the poor. Partiality is inconsistent is inconsistent with God's choice of the poor. And this is what he says in verse 5 and part of verse 6. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And what James is 
is saying there is that partiality puts man as sovereign in the place of God who chooses the poor. That's what James is saying. That when we show partiality, we put ourselves in the place of God as sovereign. We become sovereign over the very people that we are beginning to judge. And so when James is talking about the poor, he's not really talking about those who are poor in spirit or those who are humble per se, but James is, he has in mind those who are economically poor, those who are in, in financial poverty as it were, and therefore they are considered by the world as inferior or as lacking. And so James is thinking of those that individuals who do not have the material uh, blessings and therefore the world scorns at them. And so he, he begins by calling attention to his audience and to all of us. He's basically saying, listen to what I'm going to say. Listen, my beloved brothers. A, a, a phrase that we've seen in chapter 1 and part of chapter 2 that James so often uses to show his audience that as he writes, he's writing to a people he's concerned about and therefore as he writes to them, he wants them to know that they are dear to him. And so he says, listen, my beloved brothers. And then he asks a question that he expects an affirmative answer. And he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And that's a question he's asking. He's saying, in the midst of practicing partiality, pause. Ask yourself the question, has God not chosen them? The very people we, we look at as being poor and therefore we feel there's no need to pay attention to them. Has God not chosen them? And James fully states the obvious contrast. He's saying, God has chosen them, but you disown them. And this is a contrast. God has disposed his favor upon them, but you, who claim to be followers of this God, have disowned them. And, and, and James wants to see that God is the one who grants salvation. And since it's God who grants salvation, he simply assumes that his audience are individuals who believe in God's sovereign election. And therefore he does not begin to defend or explain what he means, but he simply says, has God not chosen them? And he assumes that his, his, his audience 
know and believe this. They believe that God saves, God chooses, God has chosen even the very people that are despised. <clears throat> and now it shows that if you show partiality, you are being inconsistent. And it's also showing that you are lacking in your understanding of the God you serve. When you show partiality, you align yourself to be in opposition against God. Because if God has chosen these individuals, why are you treating them in this manner? Now, James is not in any way teaching that God chooses all poor people or all poor individuals in salvation and passes over those who are rich. That's not what James is saying. But James' concern is the conduct of members or believers in, an, in God's assembly towards those who are poor. In the early church, when you read history, but also when you look at even in the book of Acts and even in the gospel, most of the individuals that responded to the Lord Jesus Christ were, were relatively poor. And they had put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also you know that there were those who were rich in, 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 in the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see that the numbers were inclined towards the poor, those who lacked the material blessings of this world. And so when the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through to verse 29, he, 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 he writes to them, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is what Paul was trying to bring to the Corinthians. It's like when you saw, when you think of where God found you, as far as the world is concerned, you are nothing. You are not wise. You, 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 you are not rich. You are not of noble birth. You are not powerful. But God nonetheless still saved you and brought you into his kingdom and gave you his riches that are in Christ Jesus. And James also, as he's addressing this element, he wants his audience, the believers, to have this in mind. 
that where God found them was nothing as far as the world is concerned. And God himself has brought them into his assembly and has given them the riches that are in Christ Jesus by faith. And therefore, among themselves, there must be this element of consideration as you relate with one another. Not, uh, not uh, despising the poor, neither elevating the rich because of their material blessings. That's, that's what James is saying. But let me be quick to say that although there is no virtue in, in poverty and being poor, we still see that oftentimes it is those who realize their need not only in the things of this world, but they also, rather let me put it this way, those who are lacking in one aspect or the other of the things of this world, they begin to realize that not only is life short, but they begin to see their need of eternal life which is offered in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this need or this lacking in their physical elements begin to probe in their hearts and begin to cause them to begin to see that life is beyond the physical materials that I'm in need of, but there's more to life. And therefore, they begin to seek something that may satisfy. And God in his wisdom brings them to himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, you remember the account in Mark 10, when he had that encounter with the rich young ruler. And the scriptures would tell us he loved him. But what was the conclusion that the Lord Jesus Christ made? That it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason it's not that because they are rich, therefore they cannot enter the kingdom of God. But it's because that their riches have usurped the place of God in their lives. And therefore they, they, they feel they have no need for God in their lives. And the Lord Jesus Christ said it is difficult or it's hard, but it's not impossible. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so we need to be quick to say that what the Lord, what James is condemning in our passage is not condemning being rich. Neither is he promoting being poor. He's basically saying that partiality is a sin that can easily find its way in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's easy to show partiality based on outward appearance and forget that God is a God who saves both the poor and the rich. Therefore, when 
We are showing partiality. We are inconsistent with God's choice for the poor. And this is what James is really addressing here. And he's showing to all of us here this afternoon that the moment we begin to, to, to treat others more based on their outward circumstances, it's we are slowly losing sight of who God is. We are slowly beginning to sin against this God. We are slowly forgetting that God is the one who saves individuals from all backgrounds. And as we come to the church, as we come into God's kingdom, we come, all of us, on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, before God, we are all one, clothed in the righteousness of God, and you must treat each other with the respect that God has bestowed upon us because of his salvation on each one of us. And James shows us that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which has promised to those who love him. And God's choice makes them heirs of the kingdom. The moment they come to faith in Christ, they are heirs of God's kingdom. And while on earth, as they live in their poverty, they are very much heirs of God's kingdom. And in the near future, the fullness of it will be realized. But even while they live on earth, they are very much God's children, heirs of God's kingdom. And so James' argument is that partiality towards the rich and against the poor, based on external factors or whatever it is, is wrong. Because it puts us in the place of judges, in the place of God. And it makes us to remove God out of the picture and assume his role, which is only true of him. And no one else can usurp the, the role of God in this world. And so by showing partiality, we assume the role of God. We assume the role that belongs to God and God alone. It is God who makes, who makes sovereign choices. And his sovereign choices are based on his infinite wisdom. It's not based on any outward circumstances over the choice he's making or the object of his choice. No, it's based on his infinite wisdom. A wisdom which does not change. When we show partiality as God's children, we make those who are poor to conclude 
that the Christian faith is not theirs. We make them conclude that Christianity is not different from other religions and from the world. Because that's what's true of the world. These classes that are there, based on whatever external factors, and if this is our conduct as God's people, we are therefore sending this message to all those out there, or those who deem themselves to be poor, that this religion or this faith is not mine. And therefore, I have no need to put my trust in this God whom they are promoting. I have no need to save this God if they who claim to be saving this God are behaving exactly like the people out there. Then I may as well not believe in this God. And so we see why it is wrong. Charity is inconsistent with God's choice of the poor. But secondly, we see that partiality is inconsistent with the hostile actions of the rich. With the hostile actions of the, of the rich. Verse 6b to verse 7. The last half of verse 6. Are not the rich the ones who oppose you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the one who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were caught? James now moves on to ask his audience, to ask us. He said, evaluate your partiality towards the rich. And he said, just use these three questions. That as you show them this favor, ask yourself these questions. And again, these questions, James, as he asks, he expects an affirmative response to this question. And as he expects this affirmative response, it confirms his argument. That there's no need to show partiality whatsoever. And the first has to do with the hostile act, actions of the rich. And he says, are the rich not the ones who oppress you? Are they not the ones who drag you into court? And here in verse 6 and 7, James is being specific. In verse 2 and verse 3, he was being general. He was indirect when he spoke of a, a rich man walks in wearing fine clothes. Now in verse 6 and 7, he's being specific. When you read the Greek, it's, it's showing us that there was a group of individuals in the church who had this hostile attitude towards the poor. And so as James is speaking, 
He's basically saying, I'm sure you've heard of such individuals. I'm sure you've heard of such actions. And as he speaks of the rich, he has a distinct class known to his audience. They were known for their harshness. They were known for their legal harassments of the poor. They were known for all kinds of ill treatment towards those who are poor. And so James is saying, on one hand as a church, you want to show partiality towards the rich, and yet it is these same guys who oppress you, who drag you to court, who even blaspheme the name of your God. And he's not saying this was true of all those who are rich. He was basically saying, you know of some who do this. You even have an idea of some individuals that I may be talking about. And so his, his, his punchline is basically that in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't treat the poor or don't elevate the rich. Treat them as Christ has treated all of us. And so James shows that in God's people there must be a conduct that is different. He's not in any way saying to us that as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ we must be against those who are rich. He's not in any way saying anyone who's rich is therefore not a Christian or going to hell. He's not in any way saying believers must despise the rich because of their riches. Because if that was the case, then James would be doing what I refer to as a reverse discrimination where you now begin to discriminate and therefore showing partiality towards the rich because of their riches. But that's not what James is saying. He's basically saying to us that whether poor or rich, believers must be able to treat one another with the respect they deserve. And therefore, showing the world that there is this oneness, there is this unity because of Christ, whether rich or poor. And so James highlights those two things. He's saying, think about these areas. The rich use their strength, use their, their statuses, use their influence to oppress the poor. Whereas God is concerned for justice for the poor. But for the rich, it's opposite. And he's saying, are these not the ones that drag you to court? Process that, James says. The rich, in their greedy and their selfishness will do all these things to 
promote their statuses, to promote their riches. And isn't this true in every culture, especially those rich individuals who do not know God? That because of their selfishness, they use their wealth to their advantage to try and oppress those who are poor, to try and make the helpless do things for them so that they continue to be wealthy. Isn't this true in every age and culture? Isn't it true why you hear of rich individuals who forecloses on the poor, the poor person's property, in order to collect a debt and even drag them to court? And as you are seated there wondering, but this is just a small house. Or this is just a small thing. This man has got so much. But yet they don't mind. Because of this selfishness, they are willing to do anything and everything in order to increase their wealth. If it means oppressing the poor, they will do so. It's the rich that will charge these exorbitant interests towards the poor to the point that the poor could, can't even pay what they owe. Or sometimes they would employ the poor and, and pay them so low that they barely survive. And yet, those around would be wondering, but they have so much. Even if they paid so much to this person, they'll still have so much to live on. And James is saying, just think about when you show partiality because of the outward circumstances, you forget these simple things they do to you. And yet you still want to treat them with this special treatment and forget those who are poor. William Buckley, in his commentary, the letters of James and Peter, this is what he has to say. He says, if a creditor met a debtor on the street, now he's talking about the culture of the day, uh, as James was writing. If a creditor met a debtor on the street, he could seize him by the neck of his robe, nearly choking him, and literally drag him to the, law, to the courts of law. And that was accepted. So even if the, you owe someone, they meet you on the streets, they grab you, drag you all the way to court, and throw you in the cells until you pay their debt. And so James is basically saying that the point is not that I'm condemning the rich, but that I'm condemning a lack of compassion 
an understanding on the part of the rich to the point that they oppress the poor with no thought about it. To the point that they are willing to do anything in their interest or in their favor with no regard to the poor. This is what James is addressing here. But he also says that it is the rich who blaspheme the Lord's name. Again, William Buckley says in his commentary, he suggests, he suggests some reasons why the wealthy would blaspheme the Lord's name or insult their Christian slaves. And, and this is what he has to say. The wealthy slave owners may have insulted their Christian slaves or the slaves' new lord and master because of several reasons. Number one, the believing slave would have a new sense of independence and thus no longer cringe at his master's power. He would have a new sense of honesty and thus not go along with his master's dishonest practices. Thirdly, he would have a new sense of priorities and thus insist on leaving work and thus insist on leaving work aside so that he could worship with his fellow believers. These and other reasons would have caused the rich and believers to blaspheme the name of Christ and those who followed him. And so those are the reasons, and James is saying, the rich, particularly the unbelie unbelievers who are rich, would want to oppress the poor to advance their wealth. But would also want to do anything in order to get that which is owed to them. And so if a poor person or a slave became a Christian and now began to have the owner and the glory of Christ at the heart, at the center of his heart, it will bring them into conflict with their masters, especially if their masters were not believers. And therefore, this will bring about this friction or this, this, this conflict to a point that the masters would begin to blaspheme the name of the Lord. And so James shows us that when in the church of Christ we begin to affiliate ourselves with those who despise God in the form of showing partiality, we are basically sending this inconsistency in our conduct because God is very clear on how we ought to treat one another in his kingdom. The Old Testament repeatedly emphasized that God is concerned for the rights of the poor. God is concerned for how they are treated. And you remember the story in 1 Kings 21. The story of the wicked queen Jezebel who 
hired false witnesses to come and accuse Naboth and have him executed. Hiring false witnesses and Naboth was executed. And then Jezebel seized his property just because her sulking husband wanted it for a vegetable garden. And this is what, what Queen Jezebel did to Naboth. And Ahab got the, 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 the property. But God was concerned for the poor pronounced severe judgment in the household of Nebo, rather on Ahab and Jezebel. And this is God's concern. He's concerned for the rights of the poor. He's concerned for how the poor are treated. He's concerned that they are treated with the respect they deserve. The Apostle point in Colossians chapter 4 verse 1 writes to the masters and he says masters treat your born servants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven and again showing us that God is concerned for how the poor are treated and this is also what James is highlighting here in verse 5 through to verse 7 of James chapter 2. And if in the church of Christ there is this, prefer, this special treatment to the rich and then there's poor treatment towards the poor, then what we are doing is aligning ourselves with those who are God's enemies, who oppress the poor, who blaspheme God's name. And John Calvin says that to oppress, to show partiality to the rich is, is like honoring your executioners and injuring your own friends. You honor your executioners and you injure your own friends. The point is this, that how we conduct ourselves in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is important to our God. It may even be in small matters of showing partiality. We may think it's a small thing. God is concerned because he wants his church to be a place where everyone who is born again, who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will feel at home regardless of their status in life. He wants everyone to feel welcome. He wants everyone to feel a part. He wants everyone to know they have a family and that family is called the church. He wants everyone to be at home in his church. 
The sin of partiality is one that we can easily fall into without realizing it as God's people. We can easily begin to make distinctions among ourselves, either because of our education levels, because of our statuses in life, also because of our kind of careers. But we are being reminded that we need to watch out of this and put it to death. And the best way to do this is to constantly focus on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into this world and taught the way to his Father. And he did not choose who to speak to. He went in the highways and the byways and proclaimed the kingdom of God. And those who come to him in faith and in repentance, he accepts them with all their background, with all their sins. He accepts them. He washes them by his blood and he makes them heirs of his kingdom. And we need to constantly gaze and remind ourselves of the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what will help us to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we realize that what Christ has done is of a greater value than who are, what have achieved in this life. And we'll spend the rest of eternity together if for God's people in his kingdom. And we may as well begin to learn to treat one another well here on earth. As someone says, eternity is a long time. And this is James' concern. And as we march to heaven, May our prayer be the words of the hymn that we'll be singing in closing. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. And as we do so, it is this testimony that will show the world that truly they serve a living God and have seen how they treat one another, how they relate with one another. It's very clear they belong to one another. Amen.